Welcome back to the Working Out the Inside podcast. Episode 19, Gender Dysphoria, Gender Nonconformity, Toxic Masculinity and Femininity, and Finding Yourself. I'm Andrew Nargawala of Advanced Psychotherapy and Healing Associates in Creskill, New Jersey. And the topic of gender dysphoria was another great listener suggestion. And I hope that other listeners will submit ideas for future segments. It's so great to have that feedback. As with some of the other topics we've dealt with here, it's way too broad for me to fully cover. But I can give an introduction to how these are issues in psychotherapy. And then in future segments, I can look at the subtopics more in depth. As we've said before, any good psychotherapy has discovery of the self at its core. Who am I? What do I want versus what I need? And so forth. More and more people are questioning whether biology equals destiny. That is, does one feel that the way we are born or are assigned cultural roles are simply what we must accept regarding issues of gender and sexuality? Same-sex relationships were once so taboo that Disgracefully, psychiatry termed homosexuality a mental disorder. Now most people understand that finding out who we love and are attracted to can be a fluid and complicated proposition. And more and more, people are also realizing this regarding gender. Gender dysphoria refers to somebody being profoundly at odds with their assigned gender. We tend to refer to this as their biologically determined gender, but this view itself is a cultural or social construct. We've for generations told people that their gender identity is very simple, male or female depending on one's body parts. But psychologically, countless people have felt radically different than this simple dichotomy. The social pressure to conform is intense, and a lot of this originates in fear. When the simplicity is removed, it opens up all sorts of possibilities that people understandably have not been educated to handle. I have to say, and I'm sorry to say, that the issue of gender dysphoria is not well understood in my own profession. Some clinicians who would otherwise never dream of making dismissive or intolerant remarks about race or sexuality will sometimes do so regarding gender identity. The basic education in these issues has been slow in evolving. Yes, there's so many more examples of transgender characters on television and more celebrities have shared their stories with the public, but that's clearly not enough for real understanding. When you do psychotherapy with adolescents, you see a lot of questioning of both gender and sexual identity. Adolescence is a time of change. Their bodies are changing. They're searching psychologically for answers. And sometimes kids will try on another identity to see if it fits them. This can come from a place of certainty and health, someone who's felt the difference from early on and is very accepting of it, or a place of trauma and abuse. For example, some years ago, I treated a young man who asked to be called by a female name, and I, of course, agreed. 
During the course of therapy, we discovered that he had been sexually abused by an older male family member. The young man later speculated that part of his exploration of a female role was the trauma he had experienced and how he saw what being male meant. His own father had also been abused by that family member, as had a female relative who lived in another town. And this young man had himself abused a close female family member. He knew that most sexual abuse is committed by males. By the end of the treatment, his own individual work and family therapy, including with his victim, he let the female identity go and could be more comfortable with a new definition of what it means to be male. For others, the full embracing of a new gender identity is life-saving. For many, to be transsexual involves cross-sex hormone treatment and genital surgery, also known as sex reassignment surgery, but some socially transition without the biological transition. Still others remain in the closet, so to speak, because to come out would mean, in their minds, losing their family relationships, their religious community, even their jobs. The intense pressure and prejudice in the culture towards transgender people results in part in rates of depression, anxiety, and attempted suicide that are all close to 50%. And approximately 30% of transgender individuals reported that they had put off medical treatment due to what they felt was discrimination in the field. We hope that medical and psychological professionals would be more enlightened and understanding, but we also know this isn't always the case. Another aspect of gender we see discussed in therapy is gender nonconformity. This is where someone doesn't identify as another gender, but feels they don't identify with the stereotypes of male and female behavior either. For example, males saying that they hate the macho, unfeeling, emotionally distant role that is put upon them from an early age, or females saying they're more comfortable being the so-called tomboy type. In truth, we're all a mixture of various emotions, perspectives, behaviors, and the labeling and channeling of us into neat categories starts extremely early with the clothes and toys we give toddlers and the actions we encourage or discourage in our children. Despite the positive changes in this over the years, some myths are very strong and persistent, such as showing deep emotion in men as feminine or gay, as is asking for help. This is as opposed to the so-called strong silent type. Or women who claim their power in business or relationships being put down because they're supposedly acting just like men. In male professional sports, there are almost zero males who are out as homosexual because of the deep fear of being labeled not only as gay, but as feminine, the very common insult of being a weak pussy, quote-unquote. Girls are often discouraged about pursuing math and science studies and careers. A study showed that both boys and girls believed the teachers saw boys as stronger, as stronger at math and science, and it was a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. 
The study also showed that encouragement from authority figures, such as parents and teachers, was more important than the girl's initial interest in the subjects. When these damaging myths and stereotypes become so ingrained in the culture that people believe they are true and act accordingly, we refer to this environment as toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. This refers not only to effects that people have on others, but on how they internalize these beliefs to a very negative extent. For example, boys and men being taught to stuff their feelings and suck it up, be a man. This greatly affects whether males seek out psychotherapy. They've been taught that expressing feelings is unmanly unless it's a supposedly acceptable male feeling, such as anger or rage. There's a 10-year lifespan gap between men and women. Men wait longer to get medical or psychological help. The stereotype of women being overly emotional results in their very real pain being discounted, not taken seriously. I still see in session boys and men apologizing for crying, feeling shame for showing real emotion. Recently, some professional basketball and football players have revealed that they have been in therapy or will be seeking therapy voluntarily. It's wonderful that they're coming forward, but it says a lot that this is a new phenomenon, that it's taken decades to just get to this point. I had a client many years ago who had been sexually abused as a child by his father's girlfriend, and he would imagine that he'd seen her in the community. Uh, he was terrified of this, even though from what we knew, she had probably passed away earlier. He said he had been in no way ready to have sex, and especially someone his father had been intimate with. The excellent book, Betrayed as Boys, talks about how the stereotype of an older woman initiating a young boy into sex, that this is portrayed as some magical experience for the child, and this minimizes the real damage of abuse. If an older man had done the same to a young girl, no one would be seeing it as anything positive. Many girls and women feel trapped between a toxic femininity that values passivity, putting others' needs above one's own, and suppressing anger. And on the other side, a toxic masculinity that is still the dominant culture in business, for example. Men have long been valued more for what they do than who they are, and females valued for how they look more than what they do and who they are. But both boys and girls are now pressured at earlier and earlier ages to succeed in the same competitive culture that has devalued both genders for decades. Almost weekly, I get calls from parents who say their daughters are stressed and anxious, and I get stressed just hearing the schedules of these young people. I recently spoke to a very bright and accomplished teenage girl who had symptoms of anxiety and panic. She attends a very exclusive and competitive public high school, and when I asked her about what she's interested in, she would always refer to what kind of award she had won for the activity. I asked her if she ever did activities just for the love of them and not to compete, 
and she said she didn't have time for that. Same with social contacts, only if related to accomplishing something, not for their own sake. What I see more and more of is children internalizing adult pressures at earlier and earlier ages. The parents actually often supporting help and positive change, but the kids themselves rejecting this because they live in fear that their lives will forever be stalled if they don't do everything right in attending the right school, finding the right job, and so on. When I recently said to a young man that he had every good quality to be at peace and to be happy, he said, I don't believe that. When I further asked him if he could have peace and happiness or success in a particular field, he said success because he thought that could lead him to peace and happiness. He didn't feel that he could simply deserve to be happy. He had to somehow achieve it, even though he had no idea how to do so. If we simply exchange one soul-killing stereotype for another, we only trap people all over again. We have to go to the roots of the gender myths and uproot the core, how we keep score as to success and self-actualization in our culture. Certain qualities are healthy for both genders, openness, acceptance of self and others, freedom, from prejudging one's abilities and so forth. And certain qualities are deadly. Mindless competitiveness, building oneself around external factors instead of internal ones, and so forth. There's a phrase from the Bible, be in the world but not of it. We are all influenced by the dominant and other cultures around us but we don't have to be complete products of any particular culture. We can develop our own personal response and perspective. There are things we identify with as male and female and things we reject. Psychotherapy can be part of the process of developing a new identity and a new relationship with the world. We can't predict what life will throw at us, but we can know what we value and will accept, what we will use as the building blocks of who we are. This is why therapy is never just about problems. It's also about alternatives and hope and positive change. To find oneself and know oneself, at least know oneself better, not perfectly, is an amazing journey, one I hope you will consider and one day embrace. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me today. Let me know what topics in this podcast and others you'd like to see developed further, because again, we're giving an overview, but we're hoping that people will uh, be stimulated to, to look further at these topics. Please subscribe and rate and comment on the episodes. Also, if you want to reach me directly, my email is amn219 at nyu.edu. That's amn219 at nyu.edu. And suggestions to future topics are always welcome. Thank you.